Hello and welcome to the Newer Podcast. I'm your host, Sana Kapadia. This is a new creative endeavor that I've started as a means of really bringing to light what it takes to live our full selves and how do we really embrace the light and radiance, i.e. the Noor, that is within us and that emanates from all of us. Through a series of conversations with some inspiring leaders, across gender finance, impact investing, the broader social justice domains, areas in which I work, full disclosure, I hope to really bring to light what it means to be a leader. How do we really embrace our full selves and show up as our full selves in all that we do? What are the different shards of our identity and the aspects of our journey that have shaped us to where we are and how we show up? So enjoy this series where we'll be covering some deep topics like leadership, identity, belonging, authenticity, and much more. And I hope that you will also start to step more fully into your light and be your most radiant self. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Noor podcast. I'm so excited to be in conversation today with the phenomenal Laurie Spengler, who is CEO of Courageous Capital Advisors. Um, she is a very seasoned impact investment banker, board member, an active com- contributor to the impact investing industry and the broader gender finance space. Um, Laurie has got to be one of the most articulate, thoughtful, and forward-looking individuals that I have got to know in my career, very focused on values-based banking, gender-smart investing, and inclusive and sustainable economies, and always looking to get to that next stage of action. And in this amazing dialogue that you're about to listen to, we talk about her leadership journey, the different uh, people in her life that have influenced her, um, what she's come to understand as her own leadership, but also what she looks for in others and what's needed as we really tackle some of the biggest societal challenges of our time. So do enjoy this amazing conversation with the incredible Laurie Spengler. There we go. All right. Hi, Laurie. How are you doing today? Hi, Sana. I'm very well. It's so good to be with you. Amazing. All right. Well, Laura, we're going to get started on this um, wonderful dialogue that I know we're going to have today. And I'd like to start off by asking the question, um, can you describe yourself in one or two sentences? It can be very literal, who you are, what you do, um, or think of a different way that you'd like to describe how you're entering the conversation and uh, how you are today. Oh, thank you, Sana. That's a great way to get started. I think I'll take the non-literal approach and uh, looking at your beautiful spirit across the screen here, I I think of myself as a friend, an ally, a co-conspirator, a co-champion in what? In, in trying to, putting our energies, efforts, our whole selves into improving the world in which we live and operate just a little bit, if we can, and looking at some of the very significant social and environmental and economic challenges that confront us, but not alone. So I see myself, I guess, as, um, as someone in always in deep partnership 
with others. And that's why it's a pleasure to, to have this conversation with you. Amazing. Well, really lovely to have you here today. Um, and thank you for that. So maybe just a follow-up then is um, in this quest of uh, focusing on social change and some of the biggest challenges of our times, um, how far do you feel you've had to, to move to be here today? Or how far have you traveled to be here with us today? I, I think I would answer that question, Sana, in, in two ways. Now, I do feel that we're trying to scale mountains right there because the, the challenges and sadly, in the course of my professional pursuits in my lifetime, the challenges have become bigger, not smaller. So the mountains, you know, they're, they're, they're large and they're looming. So you, you, I feel like we've, we've found trying to find different pathways up those mountains. But at the same time, I feel like I so that that's a stretch. That's a challenge. That's a, you know you, you have to marshal your your energies, your tactics, um, your teamwork to to determine how do you advance to scale those mountains, whatever mountains are are in your range that you are focusing on, because you can't tackle or ascend all of the mountains at the same time. So in that sense, I, I feel like I've 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 moved a, a long way, but geographically, thematically, in my mountain range, um, with different teams advancing those pathways to to scale those mountains, and at the same time, I feel like I have there's been this kind of constant in my life, and I think the constant is that from from an early age, I really did have a sense that how I want to can be present in the world is by looking at issues, opportunities, communities that are beyond my self-interest. It was a very conscious choice made at a very early age, expressed in different ways as I've matured. But this notion of being in service of, being in support of, uh, that that emerged at a very yeah at a very early age in my in my life um and so in that way that's been a constant a common thread which has been incredibly important to me in having stability in my life even though i've been i've lived in lots of different countries i've worked in lots of different organizations i have tackled different challenges and themes so so it's a it's a, it's a tandem uh, i think answer to your question that constancy or consistency as well as these huge stretches uh and definitely miles that we have walked uh together and maybe maybe just to, to go a little bit deeper there you mentioned how so much of this for you has been from a very early age can you sort of pull back and think about an early memory that you might have had where um, this consciousness of sort of wanting to be in service felt most acute for you? Was there a particular uh, image that comes up, something you read that really like made it clear for you that, there, that, that you wanted to do something big with your life? I think the, the, the earliest uh, memory is, is definitely with my father. Uh, I've lost my father now and he was a huge influence in my life. I was very close to my father. There were just two of us, two girls. I'm the youngest. And I was just from the very, very from, from the time I can remember, just super close to my father. He was an entrepreneur, a serial entrepreneur. 
And uh, before we had the language around social entrepreneurship or any of that, we didn't have that vocabulary. And, and my father, I mean, in fairness, he worked in some quote unquote traditional businesses as an entrepreneur, but he always defined his success by what happened in the community, mm-hmm. the community of employees and their families, the, the physical community where we lived. And I think it was that early sense how we would have conversations at the dinner table, how he looked at his own and, and established his own uh, KPIs, if you will. It was they were never singularly about him and being the entrepreneur, the quote unquote hero, the lead actor of the story. It was never uh, expressed in that in that spirit or were those words. It was always about what was this business that he was putting his energies and efforts into? And my mother as well. My mother worked in the company. We worked in the business from an early age, but it was never about what we're taking home, if you will, as a family. It's what are we contributing to? And there's a sense of, yes, we're providing for ourselves. I don't want to suggest my father was a what was doing this in, in, a, in a pure selfless way. It wasn't, but he was absolutely challenging himself and all of us to look at the performance, the results of this enterprise through the perspective and the experiences of a much broader stakeholder group. So I think that was probably the most, because it was over time. It was, it, was a, it, was a, it was a consistent exposure from a very early age in my life. And that's probably one of the, the most significant influences in my life. And then as I matured, I began to, to see that and, and, and apply that that perspective, that approach to life in in, in different ways and, and moved well beyond what where my father uh, w- was focused and was working. But I carried that with me in what I was doing. That's beautiful, Laurie. Thank you for sharing. And just so much of that formative aspect that you mentioned. Um, and one thing you said was that you didn't, we didn't necessarily have the language around social entrepreneurship as such then. Um, how do you think your dad would have defined leadership then? And how much of that has influenced how you think about leadership? It's a great question. I think my father, and I and I did I did reflect on this uh, before our conversation. And, and I, as you know, Sana, I've been thinking about some of these questions for, for a while myself. And let me ask it, answer it then in two parts. So my father, I think, would would look at leadership in as an ability to sustain over a lifetime. It's not a momentary uh, action or heroism or chapter, but to sustain over a lifetime an energy, a conviction about a destination Mm -hmm. and encouraging, inspiring, motivating others to advance towards that destination as you're putting your whole self into it. I think that would be my father's perspective. And I think lifting from that and being, as I shared, he, he was certainly a, a significant influence for me uh, as has been Sir Fazli Hassan, Hassan Abed, uh, who I, we might talk about in the course of the conversation. I think for me, I, 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 there's some similarities. I think about leadership as an as a dynamic and enduring ability. So this there's a there's a there's a there's a dynamism. There's a there's a changing notion of leadership. It's not static. It's moving. Um, even even the the how of leadership to me has an inherent dynamism to it. But enduring is critically important to me because it's that that notion of sustaining um, an ability in, in pursuit of a north star. So for me, 
it's all about a North Star and, 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 and you, you as an individual need to identify what that North Star is. That's the conviction uh, equivalent in my father's uh, frame, I would say. And I've expressed earlier in the conversation how I come at a North Star, but then what do you do with that dynamic enduring ability? You challenge yourself, first and foremost, uh, to, to, to push the envelope, to get outside your comfort zone, to be agile and expansive in how you look at pathways, plural, to, to advance towards that North Star. And you galvanize others, both in their actions, but I would say their behaviors as well. Uh, in how they can pull on themselves and tap themselves and their energies to uh, to to move towards that 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 north star. But maybe a direction I wanted to take us into, and for listeners who might not know who Laurie Spengler is, I know you wear very many hats. Um, can you maybe describe for folks a little bit of your own leadership journey and some of the different? Um, leadership moments in your professional career that really stand out for you? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting. So, so I'm going to do a kind of a little reverse engineer. So right now I am the founder uh, and CEO of a company called Courageous Capital Advisors. And I set that up in the pandemic in, 20, in early 2020, <laughs> as one does, uh, my latest entrepreneurial pursuit. And, and I remember when I named the company, I, I, I thought a lot about it. I thought a lot about the name for quite some time. And I the the the, the kind of sub-themes of the company using that word courageous capital, courage, which we're seeing a lot now uh in 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 the print media and in the discussions around our own community. But it was it wasn't a word that was being used a lot when I when I set up the company. But I for there were a couple of sub-themes. One is that we actions speak louder than words. So very much a, a bias for action and that this is all about, especially at this stage of my career, really looking at actions. Um, and secondly, this notion of moving beyond your comfort zone, including my own. Yeah. So that's what I alluded to earlier in the in how I think about leadership. It's not you know to others or of others. It's, 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 it's looking at yourself, but always that the destination, your North Star is beyond yourself. This is not a self-interested pursuit. If it is, to me, that's not that's not leadership. But you've got to you've got to find how do you how do you continue continuously push beyond your comfort zone and hopefully encourage others to move beyond their their comfort zone. So if, that's what I've really come to value and appreciate and 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 push myself uh, in that regard. And so when I was thinking about how did I arrive at that point, actually I think there are the, there are these connected moments, as your your question suggests, if you really scrutinize. Uh, what you've done and why you've done it and when you've done it and the choices that you've made. And so really early on when I was in grad school, I uh, was in the Boston area and I was in this kind of um, you know elite university in a very you know pristine environment. And I was just very disturbed and shocked by how many homeless people were, were in Boston. I just couldn't, I just was shocked. And so I just set up legal clinics in homeless shelters around the Boston area um, and work there at, at, at nights because homeless people sleep during the day when it's safe and they're awake at night. And so I set up the clinics in the shelters at night to, to provide uh, legal services at, the, at, the, at focusing on that at, the, at that time. And, um, and, my, and then I would go back to classes at this very pristine, <laughs> rarefied university during the day. And, and that, that was a leadership moment uh, for myself. 
that I really had to push. I was in a certain environment. It was, it was very taxing and very demanding. And I had high expectations on myself. And certainly my family did as well. I was the first person to go to uh, this university and certainly the first person to go to a grad school environment in my family. And so I had a lot of um, expectations on my shoulders, but I just felt it was critically important to engage in what was happening outside this um, rarefied university. And so I do think that was a leadership moment uh, for myself, like kind of this, this notion of just getting outside of yourself. And if I do believe that your efforts should be in service of, uh, that was a real action-oriented learning for me in service of. I did something similar when I was living in Prague in the Czech Republic. Um, after the wall fell, I was sent there with a very big firm as a professional, small team, but a big firm, uh, we were kind of a, a team of, of, I would say, pioneers on the, on the, on the, literally on the, the kind of new market edge of what this big company was doing. But I looked around and I said, no one's supporting the entrepreneurs. And if you look at the yeah. demographics of Central and Eastern Europe, it's all about entrepreneurs. And harking from my experience with my father, I thought, gosh, I mean, we shouldn't just be here doing big privatization transactions, which was the focus of what we we're doing, representing government and quasi-government entities, which was very you know, deeply interesting and satisfying. But I thought, no, we, we need to be helping the entrepreneurs access the resources and specifically the capital. And that's kind of what led me more, more deeply into, into finance. But that, that you're asking a different question. I want to answer the question. Uh, and I, I set up my own firm. I left a very, very big firm in a foreign country that I am not, I don't hail from. I don't have any familial uh, connection with uh, Central and Eastern Europe. I didn't speak the language at the time, although I, I learned to speak the language. And I set up um, a company. And uh, and so that was another uh, moment of just putting my, and, and again, it was in the spirit was solving a set of challenges for entrepreneurs, for small and medium-sized enterprises, for entrepreneurs who were really outside of the financial system at the time. And, uh, and so there have been several moments like that, several junctures like that. And Courageous Capital is probably the most uh, the most um, recent incarnation. But the, but the other thing I would say, Asana, I think this is important, especially knowing how you live your life, that I also decided from an early age that if you care about these North Stars, um, mm -hmm. that you it, it's incumbent upon you, not just to build entities and enterprises that you may be part of the team or leading the team in different ways and, and ebbing and flowing and how we think about leadership, which we might come back to, but you also are contributing to the field that you, part of the way you show up, part of the way you spend your energy, your effort, your time, your money is by contributing to the field. I feel very strongly about that. And I have absolutely endeavored to, to do that. Uh, again, from an early age. So even when I was in Central and Eastern Europe, I was the, the president of the American Czech Chamber of Commerce. I mean, you just, you volunteer for these things. You build community where you are. Gender lens investing, the gender smart community is another. And these, and the, and if you, if you do this, it's, these are deeply satisfying relationships uh, and opportunities. So it's not, it's, I don't mean to suggest that it's, it's just giving into, it's receiving from uh, but I do think you make a conscious decision to 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 participate in building community outside of what your immediate nexus of activity may be. I, I love that, Lori. And I think you know some of what you just said in terms of those different moments, and part of it is the personal connection. Part of it, as you said, is being able to see the gaps. 
um, and this aspect of contributing to broader systems level change. So if, if I were to ask you what you see as um, components of a good leader, and I have quotation marks for those who can't see, but here, um, what have you come to realize um, as some of those qualities that you, and not only in yourself, but let's say if you're you know, working with people or hiring a team and you've done that over the years of scaling and growing companies, what do you look for as qualities of leadership that are must-haves? Yeah, it's uh, boy, it's such a such a rich question and a really difficult one. And what I've, I'm, let's be honest, I'm, we're all learning always. So this is a constant um, learning uh, journey. I'll be very interested to hear what you're discovering in these conversations and learning from your from your other conversational partners. Um, and I, I, but I, let me let me say 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 the following. I, the the two, apart from my own efforts in building organizations and 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 the like they're two inspiring um in my in my father i mentioned examples that i'm pulling from as i answer this question one is mm -hmm. is abed uh, sir fazli hassan abed abed pai as he went to many of us he was the founder of brac uh, the largest development organization in the world and i had the privilege of working side by side abed from since 2005 i raised all of their capital outside of bangladesh uh, for for their commercial activities, which was just you know an amazing experience, a privilege. It was a privilege, but also Shorebank. And I ran. I was the CEO of one of the subsidiaries within the Shorebank family, the first community development financial institution in America. And I, I, I reference those because they are big, complex, dynamic organizations with extraordinary leaders, plural, not single leaders, leaders. And I would say the following, Sana. What I came to appreciate and realize is that. Um, strong, capable, contributory servant leaders need to not just hold seemingly paradoxical forces in tandem, but actually tap them for decision-making, for energy, for action, and for advancement. And let me give you a couple of examples. Ambition and humility. When we say those words, we think, oh my gosh, well, wait a minute, they seem a little bit opposite. They're not aligned. Abed taught me that you absolutely need to be ambitious in terms of the North Star. It's not your personal ambition. It's not your self-interest. It's not you. It's not even the balance sheet of your own organization, however you measure that. It's ambition to advance towards that North Star. And you need to be fiercely ambitious for it and towards it. At the same time, you need to be extraordinarily humble in the learning, in the observing, in the interactions. And if you do that well, if you learn how to hold those things, but not just hold them intellectually, like a passive acknowledgement, an intellectual exercise. No, no, no. You need to understand the dynamic and the power that can come from understanding those two things and using them in the way, as I say, you make decisions, the way you, you plot your tactical courses of action, the way you reflect on, on where you are and the organizations that you're part of. So that's one example. Another one would be pragmatism and optimism. 
So optimism, I mean, I think if you if you care about some of the North Stars that, that are in our world, Asana, you have to be an eternal optimist. I mean, you, you have to be because these mountain ranges, as I said at the beginning of the conversation, they're big and sometimes they're getting bigger. And all of a sudden there'll be a new mountain range. He's like, wait, where did that come from? Wait a minute. I thought we were, I thought we were, we were, we were, we were halfway up. And then I see another, another uh, range in the distance. Well, wait a minute, what's happened here? Uh, the landscape does shift and it's challenging. And so you have to have an optimism, but you also have to be pragmatic because it's a solutions driven, I think implicit in what I'm saying, and I haven't used this word yet, but there's a solutions driven nature to the stewardship and the servant approach uh, that, that, that certainly has inspired me in my life. And I, I find is my, 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 my personal motivation. And so you have to hold those two, hold them in tandem, but use them. Uh, because you can't, I would say your pragmatic choices are definitely informed by and influenced by an optimistic uh, perspective and, and pursuit. And then a third one would be urgency and patience. There is an urgency of now. And we, as, as leaders, again, capital L, small L, we, we, we feel that. We can't mm -hmm. wait. This is not about writing a paper, reviewing and discussing. This is about meeting a need, responding, moving, taking action, taking decisions. But at the same time, scaling those mountains is a marathon. It's a long-term trajectory. And quite frankly, some of our work, much of our work, if not all of it, will extend well beyond our lifetimes. And so you have to have also a patience in how you look at both progress, yourself, organizations, your colleagues, your allies, the ecosystem. Um, so, but, but those two things in you know, together, it's that dynamic tension that I think is, so for me, when I look at, I've learned that. And when I look at leaders, it's, I, I want to see that some mm. way and how they behave, how they speak, how they engage. And, and what I, what I learned probably most specifically in, in, in seeing those, those, let's call them characteristics traits. I call them family traits a little bit uh, for, for leaders is watching someone like Abed. And he always felt that you, you, you listen, you learn, you observe, then you respond, you act and you, you iterate. And he, he moved quickly. I mean, we used to joke about rack speed. We would be working on financial <laughs> models and we would, you know, at midnight, we'd go to bed and the next morning, the assumptions had changed because overnight Brack had you know, done something else. And we used to call that Brack speed. Like, how, you know, how do you move so quickly? But yeah. it was this, this constant listening, learning, observing, but acting and then iterating. Mm -hmm. And he used to say to me, you know, you people in the global North, you just write risk paper after risk paper and study risk. We live with it in the global South and we move. And it's not because we're ignorant to the risks. We understand that we live them. And then mm -hmm. we observe them and we engage with them and we, we hopefully um, navigate through. And so I've, 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 I've been privileged to learn a lot from people like uh, Abed in my life. So hopefully that's responsive. These, I do believe in these paradoxical forces and they yeah. are forces from which you can derive incredible power and action. Absolutely. I know. And I love that you frame them as paradoxes because I do think that we tend to simplify um into buckets, like there's a set of traits, but actually there's there's forces within each of us and they show up in different ways. And also just for sharing the the influence that people like Abed have had on your life. I think brought up the field of gender lens investing and gender finance, which I know we are deeply engaged and involved in. Um, where do you feel, you know, how do you see leadership showing up in that broader field of gender finance today? And what is 
um, what is exciting for you and where do you feel we still have room to go and um, expand as a field? Great complicated question again, Sana. You're, <laughs> you're really good at that. Um, yeah, you're very good at that. So, uh, so I, a couple of things. One is I think that we have done a very good job as, as, as a field in distributing leadership. And I think that's critically important. So networked leadership, distributed leadership, activating uh, leaders who may not use leadership language to describe themselves. And, uh, and, and I, think, I think that's really important because I, you know, leadership is not hierarchical in my view. Uh, leadership is not about titles uh, and labels. It's about, as I said earlier, it's, it's actions, it's perspective and actions. And so I do think as a community, uh, galvanizing, awakening people to their own leadership uh, contributions when they might not have used that language themselves or seen themselves in that light, I think has been a big uh, a positive of our field because we do need lots of light, lots of lights, plural, <laughs> uh, and these are human lights inside every part of the ecosystem if we are going to make any concerted or significant change um, in responding to the needs of women and girls across the board, and especially if we're going to try to tap capital to yeah. meet some of those needs. So I think that's been a real positive. Uh, and, I, and I think we've been intentionally inclusive. I mean, you, you know, we can always challenge ourselves to be, to do more, but it's been, it's been an explicit objective of ours, not some kind of small group or club. Mm -hmm. It has been intentional uh, and also intentional to, to ensure that the conversation is relevant yeah. in different parts of the world, in different ways that, that resonate uh, through the, through, through a local lens and a local prism. And I think again, more work to be done, but I think that I, I appreciate that that's been um, intentional. We now have, I think, a lot of doers in our community who are trying to activate whatever tools they can in their in their respective toolkits for, for change. But openly, I think we don't yet have enough people in more, quote unquote, formal positions of leadership in, in institutions that are sitting on lots of capital mm -hmm. who are really pushing the envelope, um, not not of themselves, but of their organizations and making some of those tough decisions. I mean, and, and yeah, and I, I think we're still needing to see, I would say, the aspiration, the alignment that we feel convert into significant deployment of capital. I mean, we still have to make the case. And it mm -hmm. just strikes me that we're at a point in time where really uh, this should be, if we're using that mountain, or if I'm using that mountain metaphor a little bit, I would have yeah. thought that we were closer to the summit. We certainly can look out. And if anything, mm -hmm. I would have thought we should have more momentum behind us, not mm -hmm. as many headwinds still um, confronting us as yeah. we're walking our, our, our path. So that, that's been, um, yeah, it, it, you have to be sober about the challenges ahead, you know, not, not, you know, uh, um, disappointed by them, so sober about them. Uh, mm -hmm. But I think that's that's an area where we really have to ensure that the private sector, private commercial investors and asset owners and asset managers get excited about uh, mm -hmm. what we've been doing around this community and see ways to, 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 to pull from what we've been doing and put it into, into their actions. 
Yeah, and I think, Laura, to build off that, some of how you described leadership with this um, long-term view and a shift towards stewardship um, and what it really means to like have um, it well beyond your lifetime. These are some of the, the phrases that you're using around leadership. I think there's something to be said about patience in that um, versus the urgency as well um, at the same time. Um, there's one thing I'm curious about. So you mentioned two sort of, these are just two examples of, of mentors and people who supported your leadership journey who happen to be men. And so much of what you do is in the field of gender equality and you know social justice more broadly. Why don't we have enough men then in, in the field of gender finance? Is it because they don't see themselves as leaders or where do you think some of that gap is? If we had more men, would there be more capital? I'm just curious to unpack that a little bit with you. I mean, actually, I, 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 I do think if there were more men, we, we'd have more capital flowing. I do, um, openly. Um, th th to me, this is not really a, a gender. It shouldn't be a gendered uh, path that we are. So if, if, if the North Star is that we care about more resources flowing to meet the needs of women and girls. And that's, I would say, a universal proposition in every geography. And, and, and we, if, I think if we were going to poll people, if we're going to poll people anonymously, I think we would find the answers are not gendered. I actually, I actually believe that. So therefore, why do we then in the community of actors mm -hmm. around gender lens, the identified, self-identified actors, it is gendered. Mm -hmm. So wait a minute, if there's a recognition that's not gendered and, and that's not a debate between and among us, why don't we have more actors? It's a really, it's a really good question, Sana. And I, I said a few minutes ago that I think the gender smart community has been intentionally inclusive and proactive in wanting mm -hmm. to, 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 to make it clear we, we want and need um, all voices in this community aligned towards that North Star and why have we not been able to do that? I think I, I, I don't have a great answer. I think a couple of my own experience, I think a couple of observations. One is I, I do think that sometimes people feel that they don't, if they don't um, have the direct experience mm -hmm. of the ultimate constituent we're talking about, the stakeholder, that they mm -hmm. don't have full credibility. I, I think there is some self-selection out. There's just a distance that happens. Um, and I know personally in my own work, I, I have acknowledged this. If I, I do spend a lot of time in Sub-Saharan Africa and in South Asia, but I'm not a permanent member of that community. I don't live. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't live in Uganda. I don't live in Bangladesh. I spend a lot of time in Bangladesh, but I don't live there. And so you know, how do I find a way to be an active participant and contributor while acknowledging mm -hmm. that I am not? a full member of that, of that community. And I think some, I mean, I've worked at that. I'm motivated to, to figure that out. There's a pull for me. There's not a distance for me, but I do think I've learned that for some folks, it feels like a distance. I don't want to overreach. I'm not credible in that community because I don't have the lived experience. I don't have that lived experience. And so I'm, I'm and I think some of the most um, alert allies of our community feel that. And so how do we bridge that, that perception gap, if you will, which I think is a perception gap because we actually want them. I think that's something we should be mindful of. The second, which is you know the, the obvious one that we talk a lot about at Gender Smart, it's just where power lies. Mm 
Um, mm. And I do think that power um, is clustered. I think we don't fully uh, grab the power that we do have. I don't think we fully tap it. We don't fully, we, we talk about this a lot at Gender Smart. This is not a new conversation, but I do think that if we still, if we're talking about financial capital, the, the aggregation forces where large aggregation pools of capital rest are still dominantly controlled by men. And that is just true. Uh, mm-hmm. And how do we, how do we break through that? I think we do it one pool at a time, <laughs> like one, you know, one capital <laughs> pool at a time, because what I've learned about money, money follows, money follows mm-hmm. and investors follow. And so if you find one or two of those mm-hmm. pools that really has activated leadership and, and leaders, plural, yeah. who are willing to, 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 to put that money to work towards our North Star, I, you know, there's no question. There's a huge ripple effect, a cascading effect, uh, an influencing uh, mm-hmm. effect. But I do think we can't dismiss the entrenched um, kind of clusters of power. Maybe that's the third one. I think behaviors are, mm-hmm. there's a lot of inertia around behaviors. And that's why earlier, when you asked me about my thought about leadership, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's actions and behaviors. Mm-hmm. And I have learned that over the years, behaviors matter a lot, because if you don't have these awakened, engaged behaviors, you're never going to get to the action or sustained action over yeah. time. Uh, so I think, and I think there's just a lot of inertia. Uh, with behaviors. I see it every day. I'm I'm a sell. I mean, bulk of my day job is on the sell side of uh, investing propositions, many of which are gender lens investing propositions and the the patterns of inertia. Wow. Mm -hmm. Are they entrenched really hard to uh, dislodge? Not impossible again, sober, not disappointed. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so those would be three uh, reflections on, on, on why it's harder to get men to, to, to really activate in our community. Yeah, I love that. And again, it's bringing up for me your mountain um, image that we started off this discussion with. And um, you brought up lived experience. And I think there's an unpacking there between, for example, the BRAC speed example that you gave and what it meant to really embody risk as part of, you know, the product and solution that was structured but then also you carry a part of that with you as part of your own lived experience and the next thing that you do. So it's like, how can we build in these nuggets of different ways of thinking and doing um, to the next thing that we do as well, right? And in these big institutions. So um, thank you for that. Um, we're gonna start to maybe slowly start to round off. So <laughs> um, I have one, one bigger question to end and then a few rapid fire questions. And the, the big question is, um, I'm turning the microphone over to you. Every person on the planet could hear what you had to say. What do you want them to know? What's your one message? Leadership is not about acts of heroism. Leadership is not derived from title or position. Leadership is how we show up in the world and how we contribute the totality of our talents, our efforts, and our energies to something bigger than ourselves. I love that. Thank you. Message um, to everyone out there. 
All right, so just a few quick ones to round us out here. Can you think of a um, quote or a quotation that is a, is a go-to one for you when you might need to pick me up or just something that you have as a post-it on a wall behind you or something? Yeah, I have a few, but the one I, I, I do come back to a lot is uh, from Margaret Mead, actually. Mm -hmm. And it's never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. That's beautiful. Thank you for that. Um, staying with what lifts you up, do you have a particular song that keeps you going? Anything musical that uh, provides inspiration? Well, a group of us recently on a, on a weekend retreat uh, did our own uh, version of Stand By Me. And I have to say, I mean, I'm a Motown girl, so I love Motown. I mean, I was trained as a classical pianist, so I love classical music oh as well. And it's, it, it, it feeds the soul. But, but in terms of my you know, energy level, I'm definitely a Motown girl. My first concert ever was Gladys Knight and the Pips at Madison Square Garden. And I just, you know, wow. that, that was that was it for me. Uh, so, yeah. So Stand By Me, I think, is a great one because it's it there is that sense of community. And, um, you know, and I think too often people think of, of leadership with the I uh, mm. and it's not. It's, it's all about the we and Stand By Me, both where you're willing to stand and who you hope will stand with you um, is, is, a, is, a, is a great song. And it's a good dance song, too. It is. It's a great choice. Um, tell us something that you're reading these days that you're enjoying. So I've talked about Abed in the course of the conversation, and there's a recent book out uh, about Abed called Hope Over Fate. And mm -hmm. I just read it. And it's and I and I'm someone who as I shared. I've known Abed since 2005 and, and until he, he died um, prematurely. And I learned something. Um, actually, his children, to whom I'm quite close, they also learned some things in the, in the book. So I, it, it's, a, it's a lovely sharing of his story and the choices that Abed made along mm. his life trajectory. Scott McMillan is the author who was a speechwriter for Abed in the, sec the kind of last um, years of his life and traveled with Abed and uh, heard some stories that none of us actually had heard because Abed was quite a, a private person. And mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, hope over fate. And I actually, I like the title as well. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing. All right. Well, um, Laurie, beautiful to have you with, um, with me today. And thank you for sharing more of your own leadership journey, as well as what you see as some of the uh, core components and the paradoxes, as well as the bias for action um, that's needed uh, to do this every day and to show up and be our whole selves. It has been a pleasure speaking with you and uh, thanks for being here today. Wow, I've so enjoyed it, Sana. I so enjoy you and I really appreciate the chance to have this conversation.